Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast. This is Susanna Scully, your host. If this is your first time listening in, welcome. We're really excited to have you here. And if you're coming back, thank you for joining us again. Um, I'm really excited to bring you today's episode um, with Dr. Manjir Samantha Lawton. Now, she is an award-winning international speaker and best-selling author of the books Punk Science and the Genius Groove. She is a former medical doctor who now links cutting-edge science with esoteric ideas and is the discoverer of the black hole principle. She has spoken frequently about her work and has been featured on the BBC and The Guardian, among many other media outlets, and she lives with her partner, James, in the UK. Um, Now, I first discovered her online and her work and was just really blown away and impressed. And this episode will not disappoint. Be ready for your mind to be complete, your brain to expand Uh, As I said, you'll hear in this episode, I feel like there were springs going off like doing in my head, trying to wrap my head around all of this. Uh, But essentially, she brings together everything that this podcast is about, this idea of the cosmos and you, that we are intrinsically um, connected to what happens in the cosmos is actually happening in us. And when you hear that term, you know, everything is connected. You always hear that we are one, everything is connected. What does it really mean? She breaks down the science of exactly from a physics standpoint, what that means. So in this episode, uh, here are the few things we talk about, uh, where consciousness has been ignored in physics. She goes over her black hole principle, which is one simple process in the universe and how this process occurs in the cosmos is a mirror of what happens in our own lives. It's just mind-blowing. And then towards the end, we get into the concept of time and how it is both real and not real at the same time. And that needs a whole other episode because she just scrapes the surface of that, but gets you, uh, I mean, again, just blows your mind. So, so, so much more in this. I can't wait for you guys to listen. So, Without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Manjir. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Susanna. It's great to be here. I'm I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, as, as I was just saying to you in our pre-interview, that I think you do a really beautiful job of blending um, science and faith and connecting who we are to the universe and um, which is the whole point of me doing this podcast is the cosmos and you. So I thought you were a really wonderful representation of that. So thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you. When I saw the title of your podcast, I was like, oh, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Kindred spirits. (laughs) Um, Well, what I'd love to do is start out by having you tell our audience a bit more about you and your background and uh, what you're up to today. 
Oh, gosh. Um, well, I started out as, uh, you know, the typical sort of Bengali good girl um, going into medicine and becoming a medical doctor, a medical general practitioner. And um, it was when I actually entered medical school in London that I had what is known to mystics as a sort of Kundalini awakening. And um, that if you if you don't know about that, it's something that the Indian sages and all these people kind of talk about. And um, I had it just completely spontaneously in my first ever yoga class. Um, so that was a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a surprise. And uh, before I had that awakening, I had you know obviously been in med school. I was studying science. I had a love of science. And I was completely skeptical about anything to do with psychic phenomena, complementary therapies, you know, anything that you might see as woo-woo. I just thought of it as old-fashioned superstition, you know, that uh, if only people knew science and they wouldn't bother with all this sort of stuff. And then suddenly having this kind of awakening, I went, ah, that's what it's all about. And it was suddenly knowing and being connected to the entire universe at once. That's kind of how it felt. And, um, and sorry, I'm going to stop you okay. just for a minute. What is a Kundalini awakening? Literally, what what is it separate of your experience? Um, and then what was your experience? Well, a Kundalini is a... Sanskrit word that simply means like coiled energy and uh, the idea is that there's sort of like a there's a sort of potential energy that's in your sacrum bone and so I, I knew nothing of this walking into this yoga class by the way and um, what happens if you do the right activation and you know, in the West we think of yoga the uh, as exercises right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's how it's been brought across to us, and that's what we think is hugely popular, especially in your part of the world, Susanna. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, <laughs> so, but the actual um, goal of yoga is union. Yoga means union. So the union is of the spirit within, within us to the universe. So the goal of these exercises is not just to get fit, but to actually clear the body so that you can better connect to the universe. And uh, that part has been sort of ignored by a lot of Western culture. So uh, what happened when I had this uh, awakening is that, you know, supposedly, I mean, obviously I wasn't sort of scaling myself in some way to check this is what really happened. But the idea is that, you know, you have this energy going through, rising up through your chakra system, which, you know, until five minutes before that I would have thought was nonsense, but then I was experiencing it. And it goes up your chakra system, which is sort of seven centers in the body, and it comes out the top of your head, which is a crown chakra, and uh, I felt it. I mean, I really, really felt it. And so here I was, 18 years old, um, former skeptic, suddenly a <laughs> light switched on, and, uh, you know, I was feeling sort of cool breezes coming out of the top of my head. It was very, very palpable. And um, the main thing for me, you know, if anybody's listening thinking, well, you know, she could have imagined it, is that my entire outlook changed. 
and uh, from one moment to the to the next, and from being a Richard Dawkins fan to you know suddenly you know getting it and having uh, multi-dimensional experiences. Um, what does multi-what uh, does multi-dimensional experiences mean? Oh, all sorts of things. But one of those things is that you know here I was in you know first year of, of med school. And then suddenly I'm kind of psychic and I'm like, uh, you know, which is something I didn't even believe in before this, but it started to happen to me. And uh, I also, uh, you know, can sense, started to sense presence of, of uh, different, different realms of reality. And uh, so th- that was a big, big shift for me. And a lot of people might be wondering at this point, you know, it, what if, was she losing her mind, everything like that. Um, it, it can happen with Kundalini experiences. I, I think, I, you know, it can happen in certain cases. But for me, I was fine. I was grounded. I was actually able to continue my medical studies and qualify as a doctor. And I kept that world completely separate from my medical world. Um, so my spiritual exploration, as it were, was happening um, in the weekends and in my spare time as much as I could outside of my medical career, and I kept quiet about it. Um, And uh, so it was this sort of parallel life that was going on. And the more that I was looking into that, the more that I was going, hey, you know what, this this stuff sounds like the physics that I'm reading about, because my hobby really was to read about quantum, even as a schoolgirl, to read about quantum physics and and all of this stuff and you know the 90s which is telling you how old I am at the moment you know so you know the 90s in in, uh, in physics was a really exciting time there was a lot being discovered dark energy dark matter you know it was really a, a, an amazing frontier that was happening and uh, we were getting you know images back from the Hubble telescope and information back and uh, inflation theory was was uh, coming out, and you know, so um, it was an exciting time. And I was looking at some of these um, ideas in physics, like uh, like the speed of light isn't the speed limit of the universe, and going, hey, you know, um, is this is what I'm experiencing in my spiritual life? You know, I'm experiencing what seems to be faster than light. Um, you know, consciousness, what's going on here? And really going, well, you know, this has really amazing analogies from what what I'm actually, you know, sensing and realizing. And and when you read the experience of it, there's a knowing that comes through. And I was going, yeah, you know what, this isn't too far off from from what physics is talking about with string theory and, you know, everything being vibrational and, you know, um, and I thought to myself, going through my medical career, and I also trained as a um, a bioenergy therapist, which is pretty similar to Reiki. Um, it's not quite the same, but it's pretty similar. And I was having, you know, outside of my medical practice, I was having great uh, responses with um, clients that I was seeing there. And I was thinking, you know what would be great? If you made all this science so simple that even doctors could understand it. Even doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Because believe it or not, you know, doctors don't really go into physics very much. There's a really big divide between 
physics and biology. And, you know, I would be on a ward round and they'd be talking about this molecule and that molecule and, you know, the, the drugs that we were putting into patients' bodies. And I was thinking, why are we stopping there? Why are we not thinking about the electromagnetic effects of that molecule on the molecules around, not even touching those molecules? Why are we not thinking of deeper than that, deeper at the quantum level of that molecule? And, you know, the fact that that molecule is, if you went deeper into the atomic level and the subatomic level, you know, it's not really anything at all. It's it's an idea. So, you know, that side of things, if you say to most doctors, they look at you completely blankly, you know, and, uh, you know, so I thought, you know, why not make something that's, you know, write something that's really um, so easy to understand that they can get on this quantum physics, consciousness, string theory. And I'm not saying that this is proof for what I'm experiencing as a healer, as a uh, as a psychic, as a, but I can show up the analogies. And uh, so that's really where it all started. I looked around me, I thought, nobody's really doing this in a way that's contemporary, that's fun, that's easy to get. And, uh, you know, so so that's when it all started out. And so that is where the idea for Punk Science, which is your first book, correct, was born from. Um, absolutely. I wanted something that was going to be, um, you know, th- when people start to talk about, you know, these ideas, often they start to go aside from popular culture or, you know, and I wanted something, well, this is contemporary. This is like, um, you know, th- this is uh, a part of our culture. And uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the sort of punk movement in the UK in the 1970s. So, um, I mean, still to this day, uh, people in the UK see punk as one of the most important um, sort of musical and cultural movements. Still to this day, they put um, the Sex Pistols album as their all-time favourite album. It's often named in this country. So I wanted something with that vibrancy and that spirit of, um, you know, going against the system, not caring about the system, (laughs) because, you know, what... What I was saying in the book, the academics certainly weren't going to like it. And I knew that. And instead of pandering to the academics, I was going to take it straight to the people. And, um, you know, and really that's what it, I, I knew that the academics would, you know, if you give them a door to close, they're going to close it on you. So don't give them the door, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I just kind of went straight to the people. And, it, and that's where it grew and grew and, and people just Loved it, and they've. Uh, I spent over a decade now uh, speaking around the world uh, with punk science and various of the concept, but but mainly the ones in in punk science. And uh, you know, it's it's been a huge response. You know, it's 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 been amazing, and and um, it's often the the uh, scientific minds because I think they're tra- overtrained in a certain way who who don't understand it so much and ha- have the most difficulty with it sometimes. But, you know, the people get it. They they get that this is this is a, a truth. And uh, it, it's just been... I have spoken at scientific meetings, but, um, you know, sometimes it can be harder for someone who's been overly trained in, in, a, in a certain way to sort of step back and see things in a, in, in a different way. Because what I wasn't expecting in all this is to actually bring out 
uh, a new theory. And uh, that was not the intention when I started writing the books. That was a bit of a surprise. So so tell us about, um, for people who have not yet read Punk Science, um, what are the main concepts in the book and how do they apply to our daily lives? What can we learn from it and apply to understanding how the world works and how we operate in it? Ooh, that's a big question. I mean, it's a big question, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, ooh, where do we start? Well, one of the main fundamentals of the whole book is looking at the way that, um, I mean, a lot of your listeners by now are probably aware of the concepts in quantum theory. Would you say that you've covered that before? Um, we have talked about it, but... Um, um, at a at a level of saying that there are very strange things that happen at the subatomic level that you know quantum entanglement uh, we've talked about that and we've talked about um, uh, sort of the strange spooky things that have happened but I don't know that we've had anyone on that could break it down very clearly for everyone so give okay. if you could give us a you know <laughs> five minute version of you know just the most complicated <laughs> concept in physics. <laughs> You know, people say that um, quantum physics is really complicated and and um, to a, a lot of physicists it is because they're not living that way. But the people who are embracing it are the people who uh, have psychic awareness, multidimensional, aware of something other because they are living that way. So they go, hey, this is reflecting my life. So, um, I mean, the whole secret movement and the whole law of attraction movement is basically come out of this. So the real big difference with quantum physics, which is um, something that, um, you know, appeared in the 1920s, 1930s, um, is that up to that moment, we didn't know that we had anything to do with the experiment. We thought that you have the experiment and you have us. You know, our minds, our consciousness has got nothing to do with it. And what happened with quantum physics is through a number of experiments that still hold today, um, is that we realized that the experiment changes depending on how we measure things and how we measure photons, subatomic particles. They actually change their behavior depending on how, if we're looking or not. And so this is the big revolution. And this it's is like, the, that's the observer effect, is that right? That's, that's the observer okay. effect. Um, that's what sometimes is called wave particle duality. So when we're looking, things behave. Uh, when we're not looking, things behave as a wave. And when we're looking, they kind of turn into point particles. And so the the main point of this is that, um, is that we suddenly became participants in not only the experiment, but of also therefore our reality. Because if the if subatomic particles are behaving like that, in, in these experiments, that what are they doing in every, everyday life? So um, suddenly consciousness, our own measurement, our own, you know, presence came into it, which was so revolutionary. Einstein didn't like this at all. Um, he famously said a lot of things, God does not play dice, all of these sorts of things about quantum physics. Uh, the Schrodinger's cat thing was, um, you know, uh, actually Schrodinger taking the mickey out of quantum physics. And the, yeah, can you explain the Schro Schrodinger's cat um, to everybody for people who don't know what that is? 
Right. Well, you know, because of the sort of, um, you know, weird behavior of subatomic particles, uh, Schrodinger thought of this thought experiment, and that's all it was. It was a thought experiment. And uh, because in quantum physics, we've realized that particles can be like in several states at once. You know, in, in our everyday reality, we, we're used to thinking of something being solid, and that's what it is. But looking deeper and deeper and deeper, when you get to that level, Particles can be in several states at once. So um, Schrodinger thought this was, you know, he was he he created this thought experiment to take the Mickey actually, and unfortunately, that's not what he's known for. So what it is is that, um, you know, if you were to take a, a radioactive source that is actually related to um, to the release of a sort of poison, and you put that in a box and put that in with a cat. Uh, the radioactivity is uh, randomly uh, firing off, and uh, depending on how that fires is whether or not the poison is released. And uh, so before you open the box, you don't know if the cat is dead or alive. And so there's a certain superposition state that the cat's in where the cat is, before you look, where the cat is both dead or alive. And uh, what Schrodinger was trying to say is this this is theory is kind of absurd. You can't have a cat that's both dead or alive at the same time. And when you open the box, you see what the result is. And uh, fortunately for him, that he'll be forever linked to something that he was actually uh, not, not too keen on. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh. So, so uh, you know, he was pointing something out, but there's something really important about Schrodinger's the Schrodinger cat experiment in that um, a cat is a macro object, whereas uh, you know what we are normally talking about with quantum physics is that you, you're talking about a certain level of of you know the sort of Planck scale, that sort of scale of things, you know. So um, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of the cat, we. We don't know how big something needs to get before quantum effects are no longer seen. Mm. Um, you know, so at the moment we don't know. So um, you know, so when when the, the, you know things like what the bleep talk about, well, your thoughts create your reality and all that. A physicist will say, oh, this is total nonsense. This isn't applying to macro effects. This is about you know the quantum level. They say that the ma macro. You know, but actually, in quantum physics, there's nothing to say that you you're not popping in and out of existence at all times. So yeah, that this is uh, this is the big revolution that happened. And um, it, what's really interesting is that it's not the doctors or the physicists that are uh, really um, using this in their everyday life. It's the public, <laughs> so um, you know, who've embraced it by buying millions of copies of The Secret and. You know, all of these types of things. Right. Well, so, okay. So let me stop you for a moment. So, so what the, what the secret is saying is the secret took, uh, well, it wasn't actually the secret. It was what the book in the 1920s, I think is it, right? What it was based on. But anyway, it was taking quantum theory, applying it, which quantum theory is in, at a micro level at subatomic particles, and it applied it to a macro level. And the physicists are saying, no, we have only proven this happens at a micro level, not at a macro level. But what you're saying is Schrodinger's cat, a cat is at a macro level. So it does apply. It, am I understanding that correctly? 
Well, Schrodinger's cat is not a real experiment. Oh, because it was just a thought. Experiment. Okay. Yeah, right. it was a thought experiment. Okay. Um, but, uh, and, you know, nobody would seriously do that to a cat. Right. You know, for the <laughs> a pita you know, would so, be all over you, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, it, I was actually at a physics conference in, in um, London some years ago where they were getting to the level of, um, 60 atoms and still seeing uh, still seeing quantum effects so I don't think we really know at the moment what the limit is of, of where we stop seeing quantum effects, these sort of spooky kind of you know entanglements and everything that you've discussed um, before at this show so um, yeah it's it's uh, the, I'm not sure about if the book in the 1920s was talking about quantum physics as such because it was so very new at that mm, stage right but um, certainly people who are talking about these sorts of ideas now are using quantum physics to um, to give a scientific background for the idea that your thoughts create your reality um, so um, that's that's one of the sort of uh, basic fundamental principles of the book Punk Science as well that um, you know that consciousness where it has been completely ignored in um, in science so far is uh, now seen can be seen by some physicists as being fundamental to reality so it's something that is uh, like a ground state, as it were. And this is not, not myself that's come out with this, but um, quantum physics such as, uh, physicists such as uh, Dr. Amit Goswami, um, uh, formerly, I think he was in Arizona, University of Arizona, who, uh, you know, has spoken many times about uh, his conclusions about quantum physics being um, consciousness is the ground of all being because if it's an agent of of collapsing reality into uh, re- collapsing the wave into a particle as in you know making something that's amorphous reality from being amorphous into making it into what we would see solid um, then uh, you know then he's saying well consci- there must be something about consciousness that is more fundamental to reality than matter so we're always taught, you know, the the brain is produces consciousness. Quantum physics turns out upside down, and so actually, um, the brain is like, you know, a actually comes out a receiver. Yes, exactly. It's um, <coughs> it's it's a, it's an organ that receives and then translates consciousness. Um, so that that's one of the most fundamental things and then once you've got that in place you can look at a lot of things like mystics throughout the ages have always talked about um, other spirit guides other dimensions you, you know if you look at Joan of Arc for example I mean was she, what gave her the conviction as a 15 year old girl to lead an army um, you know, it's like she told the king of France that she had angels talking to her. You know, and and is she is she right? You know, if so, where do these angels reside? You know, so uh, what I did in punk science was say, okay, if everything is consciousness, then if we take string theory, which says that there are many dimensions, then do we have many dimensions of consciousness? And is this where these ghosts? angels any sort of other beings 
other beings, you know, every single religion on the planet is founded by an experience like this. Is this just somebody hallucinating or is this a, is this a possibility? And is this the science of that? Uh, do we have other dimensions of consciousness? Um, so, you know, that's, that's one sort of application of it. Um, you talk about uh, quantum entanglement. Well, just that's non-local consciousness. Therefore, you know, we're talking about things being connected, no matter the distance. Distant healing, um, telepathy. You know, all these. Uh, can can we now have an explanation for these things um, through this sort of uh, the, the science that we're talking about? So um, yeah, that that's those are some of the ideas uh, that are in, in the book. Um, we could go. We could go. Well, on okay. And on so the other thing, this is I could go into each one of these. Um, but the 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 other thing that I know that you're very much known for is. Um, talking a lot about black holes. Um, so I would love to talk about what you have, you know, you've made connections between black holes and chakras. Um, and um, so, so, and black holes being the creative source of the universe. So what I'd love to have you tell us, first of all, explain to everybody what is a black hole scientifically. Um, and then what is the connection that you've been making in terms of uh, who we are and black holes. What's the connection? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's such a huge topic. Yeah, I know. To it's such a huge that. topic. But I give know. us the... No, 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 sure, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, no, it's good that we're breaking it up a bit. Okay. So that's one... You know, those are one in some areas about where you can apply um, you know, the principles of punk science to your life. But another big area, which really... Um, it's really looking at a, uh, the next level of uh, of how we view the universe, and uh, you know we have have had our theories um, that humanity goes through levels from one theory to another to another, and I think not only myself but there's some other people right now who are talking similarly about black holes, vortices. There's lots of theories under different names, but they're all sort of quite similar. So, um, you know, it really does feel that, that we're looking to the next level of how we view the universe itself. And from there, we can actually, um, uh, we can actually apply these to our daily lives because it's a new level of the universe, a new level of understanding. So this was the uh, surprise that I wasn't expecting at all. And uh, so like everybody else, I thought the black holes were these um, guzzling monsters that lurked in space that, um, you know, and you always picture them like in Star Trek and things like that where, you know, they, they're going in the spaceship and they're, they're kind of, oh, no, you know, we're going to be swallowed up. And then, you know, <laughs> last hole. minute, I know, <laughs> it's last minute, they miraculously, you know, or uh, surviving, that's such a common plot, isn't it? And so we... Uh, you know, repeatedly think that uh, black holes are these that basically in scientific terms there was there's supposed to be the collapse of uh, stars that are beyond a certain mass uh, called the Chandrasekhar limit and uh, once these uh, stars get too heavy basically um, at the end of their lives they collapse in on themselves and collapse so tightly that um, they collapse into a point of infinite density and infinite gravity uh, when you've got something that's got infinite gravity it's going to attract everything um, that 
goes beyond this event horizon. And uh, so if you're unlucky enough to go beyond the event horizon, which is what the uh, Star Trek uh, Voyages sort of uh, tends to do in these films, then you'll be sucked into a black hole. There's various theories as to actually what happens as you're crossing the event horizon and all of this sort of stuff. And this has been the idea that we've had since, uh, you know, developed from the 1930s onwards through to the 1960s. In the 1970s, Stephen Hawking um, actually modified this a bit and said that um, uh, black holes actually weakly radiate and they radiate sort of subatomic particles like electrons and positrons at the edge of the event horizon and uh, so you know but pretty much that was our picture of black holes now what's interesting is that uh, this was all just theory and uh, until the era of telescopes uh, when we got into the era of telescopes things started to change because we actually found black holes and uh, so you might be wondering, why can you actually find black holes? Well, they found black holes at the centre of every galaxy that they looked at. And they were expecting black holes to be really rare and maybe occasionally find this sort of exact, you know, kind of circumstance which created black holes. But actually they found them in every single uh, galaxy they looked at and the way that they found those is because the stars around them were spinning so rapidly that only something with a lot of gravity could be causing that hmm. and um, so they found that in all the neighboring galaxies um, and eventually they kind of went oh I wonder if we have a supermassive black hole at the center of the milky way and sure enough there it was and not only did they have um supermassive black holes at the centre but all over the galaxies they were seeing this sort of behaviour and uh, you know so you know the next idea is well are they sucking everything up because that's what black holes are supposed to do they're called black because they're even sucking up light well there's another area where we seem to have got it wrong um, because the way that we identify black holes is they're actually really, really bright. Um, they emit an awful lot of material, and uh, they're emitting light, they're emitting electrons. Uh, so around 2003, um, I was, uh, there was a lot of changes in my life. At this time, I you know, was uh, pretty much uh, left medicine. Uh, through a lot of uh, series of events. And uh, so I started to realise that this this was going to be my main life now, to, to study all of these things. And as I said, I was putting together all these ideas in, in punk science. And, um, but I was contemplating this, this, uh, this strange phenomenon that um, black holes, particularly the black holes associated with microquasars, uh, which are certain objects in, in space, were giving out these peculiar kind of emissions like gamma ray bursts, um, electrons, um, almost at the speed of light or faster than the speed of light in some measurements, and positrons, which are the sort of antimatter part, partner of electrons. And I was kind of wondering, going, what on earth is going on here? What, why are black holes giving off all this material? Why aren't they sucking it up like black holes are supposed to do? And I was out walking in the woods with my dog, and uh, suddenly in this moment of 
you know, massive revelation. It just came to me. I thought black holes are actually not destructive. They're actually the creative centers of our entire universe. And what happens is the reason why they appear black is because they're actually mostly in higher dimensions of consciousness. Remember that concept we were talking about earlier? And what we see, what actually happens, what was revealed to me, was that light goes from this infinity at the centre of a black hole and it spirals through the dimensions. It gets to the edge of our reality. Now, our reality, the limit of our reality is the speed of light. Um, but it's the limit limitation of the universe. Do you remember earlier I was saying that some scientists were saying that? Yes, yes. Um, there's theories called VSL, you know, um, talking about how um, light is expressed in many, many different dimensions and speed of light isn't the speed limit. This, these are not ideas outside of the mainstream. But what I realized is that the speed of light, which we think is a limitation of the entire universe, actually is just a limitation of this dimension. Mm. And so when light comes through, to what I've renamed, not the event horizon, but the perception horizon, we it, it splits into two, and it splits into the electron and the positron. So it splits into the mirror image, image particles. And those particles, the electrons, uh, the uh, matter particles, go on to create what we call is our world. And suddenly I saw that very, very clearly. So the reason why we see the black hole as black is because it's beyond our normal perceptions. And so when we look in our telescopes and we see these um, electrons coming out of black holes, they're coming out of black holes at the speed of light because they've only just slowed down to our dimension. So at, at another dimension, they are vibrating at a higher frequency that we cannot perceive yeah because that's beyond our normal perceptions and so when it comes down to a level that we can perceive the light splits and then that's when we get the electron and the positron coming out and we can measure the electrons and we measure them at like 95 percent the speed of light because they've only just slowed down but that's not the whole picture the other part of the picture is that these the electron, it, the black holes breathe. And if you think I'm talking nonsense, you know, there, there's measurements to show um, that uh, in our own galaxy, the clouds that are a few light years close to the center of the galaxy, they have actually been measured breathing in and out. It what does that happens. mean, breathe? What do you mean breathing? Is that... Breathe. They, they breathe. So what happens is the um, it doesn't just go one way. Um, it doesn't just go where you've got the light coming to the edge of our reality and splitting into the electron and the positron. They actually recombine again and go the other way. And so they combine and they produce gamma ray bursts. So those two combine the positron electron and it produces gamma ray bursts. Now, these... So the process kind of goes one way and then the other. And this exactly matches the data that we get from space. This is exactly matching. We get this oscillatory effect. So if you look up um, gamma ray burst oscillations, 
And it just doesn't fit the picture of this conventional science scientists at the moment. They think that they are explosions. They think that these black holes are burping. You know, I mean, seriously, if you put in black holes burp, burp on their food, you will find a scientific article uh, contemplating whether or not black holes are burping <laughs> because it, because in their mind, black holes are swallowing everything, so why should they give off these high-energy electrons or X-rays or, you know, um, so yeah, why is this happening? So but wait, I'm going to totally... stop you for a second, sorry, just because I want to make yeah, sure, sure that I want to yeah, make sure yeah, I'm yeah. following and my audience, because this is all new to us, this is including me. And as you're talking, I'm Googling gamma ray burst. Okay, so... I'm just looking at audience if you know unless you're driving you can look up gamma ray burst. So I'm seeing an image of I've heard of it before but I don't know what it is and never even seen it I don't know anything. Um so I'm looking at a picture of a gamma ray burst and so this is um this comes out of a um out of a black hole how frequently by the way is this That's a really interesting thing because um the hell of uh the cosmos, really, it, it appears to be random, but everything, the other part of the picture is this pattern is going on at every single level, from the centre of the galaxy to all the way. It's a kind of fractal kind of picture. And so from about 50 years ago, people started to see gamma ray bursts in the, in the sky, very, very powerful gamma ray bursts. So gamma ray bursts, if you don't know, are part of the electromagnetic spectrum. A, you know how you have many, many different um, parts of the electromagnetic spectrum from you know ultraviolet to infrared to, you know, to, so gamma ray bursts are, are part of the high energy uh, part of the, so it's, it's light basically. Um, and so... It's high energy light, you could say. And uh, so what happens is is uh, the um, the electron and the positron combine together and they produce a particular type of gamma ray burst. Um, so we can we can pick that up. Now we can see that all over the place. Uh, we can see that recombination process. So when we look at a lot of objects in space, we sometimes see electrons and positrons coming out of them in spirals, by the way, and sometimes we see gamma ray bursts. And this is kind of like, because it's a breathing process, this oscillates, and to us, it looks like just random patterns. And so sometimes, you know, I mean, right now, you have astronomers who are scanning the whole cosmos looking for the next big gamma ray burst because something sometimes they'll just absolutely light up and sometimes it'll last days sometimes it'll last seconds because it's this breathing process that's going on and uh, it's not just about supermassive black holes in the center of the galaxies and by the way we found this also about the milky way so if you look up milky way blowing bubbles <laughs> you will see 
uh, not only that the the bipolar the, the way that it often comes out of black holes is at 180 degrees to each other you see this bipolar jets nothing to do with manic depression a lot of people <laughs> sort of come up to me and say well what's this about bipolar no it's, it's these two poles bipolar jets and you see these coming out of galaxies uh, at 180 degrees we have this around our own Milky Way. And this was completely taken, took them by surprise um, in the, uh, was it the Fermi telescope, um, when they um, extracted the sort of gamma ray picture, <coughs> they saw that our Milky Way is producing bubbles. And they think it's from a nation explosion. No, no, no. It, I predicted this back in, 2006 um, when I published it you know this this is produced by the Milky Way um, giving off these bipolar jets whilst rotating and the rotation actually causes this bubble formation um, that you see so if you're listening now just have a look at Milky Way blowing bubbles yeah I'm looking at it by the way there's this great gif uh, if you go Milky Way bubbles images, the second one, and you click on it, it, it is a GIF. It's a moving one that shows it rotating. Okay, I'm following. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So it's yeah. actually rotating. So according to the physicists, this is they, they don't understand what it is. So they say, oh, there was this massive explosion. We're still in the remnants. No, this is a living, breathing process. Um, it's happening at every single level. So uh, when I say that, you know, some of the best um, evidence we have for that is actually in something that is so utterly mundane that it will, it's quite mind-blowing. You see the same patterns that you see in the um, centres of the black holes that you see in thunderstorms. And when satellites started to, you know, go above the clouds and, you know, look, we suddenly started to see different types of lightning, different types of, um, we suddenly started to realise that there were gamma ray bursts happening in the Earth's upper atmosphere. They're called terrestrial gamma ray flashes. And uh, guess what they have? Can you predict this now? You know, so if the uh, what it, the theory that I'm the what I call the theory is the black hole principle because it's the same principle that goes throughout reality. So um, you know what we can predict from what I've just said is what we should see if I'm right. So this is like what I predicted in 2006. We should see gamma ray bursts at the speed of light. You know, we should see activity at the speed of light. We should see electrons coming out, and we should see positrons antimatter. Well, the gamma ray bursts were indeed found in the Earth's upper atmosphere um, by the satellites. The electrons, well, guess what they are? Hmm. They in a thunderstorm. Guess? Can you guess? They're the lightning. So, <laughs> lightning is the thunderstorm. It's the um, electrons coming from the thunderstorm. Now we're taught in school. That thund uh, electron, uh, sorry, lightning is caused by thunder. Uh, the clouds getting very, very static mm -hmm. and discharging, just like static electricity, yeah. discharging a spark. Now people have actually lost their lives trying to measure. You know, but if you put a kite into a thunderstorm, you can imagine this is quite a dangerous thing to do. The, the sort of charges that are built up are nowhere near the power 
that you need to create that um, charge of uh, of lightning. Yeah, by the time the lightning hits the Earth, it's a third the speed of light. It's going that fast. Um, so you have the lightning, and guess what? In 2010, NASA investigated these terrestrial gamma ray flashes, and guess what they found? What? The antimatter, the third component that I predicted. So <laughs> when you have a theory in science that is, that is a, you know, there's a powerful theory, it makes predictions. And, uh, you know, that come true. And so far I've predicted that. I've predicted, I also predicted, well, the, the other part of, um, of the component of a thunderstorm is rain. And uh, logically, you know, if I'm right, then, uh, you know, water's also got to be produced by black holes. Well, guess what? NASA are also finding this as well. They're finding water on Saturn's moons. They're finding it on comets. They're finding it in coming out of black holes in space. The biggest pool of water ever known has been found at the edges of space. It's coming. Water comes out of black holes. And this is the thing, say whether it's a thunderstorm, whether it's um, uh, out in space, or whether it's inside our cells. You know, so our, our cells and our body, we're also, our DNA also follows this spiraling pattern. Our chakras are, you know, it's the same all the way down. Nature's actually pretty simple. Um, so when I finally did meet Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, ex- and for those who don't know who Richard Dawkins is, will you? He's a famous atheist. He's a famous atheist, but he's also someone who is very uh, wanting to, um, you know, he's he's kind of like a a, a leader, you know, of a, of a charge, you know, against anything that he sees as superstition or, you know, um, anything like that. And he wants the whole world to be into the reductionist science. And so when I finally did meet him as part of a TV show that I did, um, here and I, you know, talked to him for forty minutes. They just took about twenty seconds, you know. So, um, yeah, I I could sit there, you know, and talk to him because I realised I just did out Dawkins Dawkins because Dawkins <laughs> always says nature is simple. Nature, you know, and for me, you don't need to have convoluted theories about black holes burping and then you know all these sorts of things. It's simple. There's one simple process that goes throughout reality, goes throughout nature. It's elegant. It's simple. It doesn't need special circumstances. You have this flowing creative process that's happening at all levels of reality. By the way, sunspots, the uh, you know, stars have this as well. This bipolar jet. They have this matter antimatter uh, light cycle. The same thing. Um, you have these jets coming out of sunspots. Those are the black holes on black holes within within the sun. And you also, guess what? I didn't believe this when I first saw it. You have H2O coming out of sunspots. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? That is. How is that? How does it not evaporate? Yeah, well, it, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it evaporates, you know, but you, you have H2O, you have water molecules coming out of sunspots. And as we know with our recent you know, fly by uh, Pluto, you know, you have uh, a lot of volcanic activity. Volcanoes are the same kind of um, 
bursts that are coming out of the centre of our planet or, you know, there's volcanic activities on planets that we're not expecting activity. The reason being is because each of these is its own black hole dynamo, the centre of our planet. And, you know, I predicted publicly in uh, 2013 at the Institute of Neuretic Sciences that um, the water of the of the Earth, the oceans, came from the centre of the Earth. Uh, because I'm saying that this is, you know, the centre of the Earth is a black hole dynamo. It produces water just like any other black hole dynamo. And uh, so I made that public prediction. Within a year, uh, not even a year, this is what scientists announced around the world. They found an ocean towards the Earth's interior. Mm, wow! And so this mystery of where did the oceans come from? Did it come from a pl- a comet? Did it? Where does it come from? Was solved. You know, I predicted that actually it came from the centre of the planet, and that's exactly what was, you know, announced in the scientific press within a year of me making that public prediction. Wow. Uh, and how do these, by the way, I'm Google, if anyone's listening going, really? I'm Googling it. I'm on time.com. Scientists yeah. announce a rare mineral discovery suggests that a reservoir could hold as much water as all the Earth's oceans combined in Nature Journal. So this is all... And that was yeah. early 2014. That's right, March 2014. Yeah, I, I made that public prediction in July of 2013. And so these predictions, okay, I have two questions. One, I want to know how these predictions uh, come to you. And then secondly, I want to know, I mean, all of this is just mind-blowing, first of all. Um, I want to know how we bring this into our knowing and our, like, what do we do with this, right? What is it? How do we be in the world or uh, differently um, because of knowing this? Okay, so how I get these knowing from that initial download in two thousand three, which was just in in a few seconds. I can't really explain it because it was like an outer space and time experience where a lot of information was downloaded. From there, it's kind of logical because, um, for example, the water, if um, if terrestrial gamma ray flashes are uh, are really the same mechanism as a as a black hole in the centre of the galaxy, then somewhere some of these black holes uh, in space must also produce water. If the same behaviour is happening on Earth is happening in space, then that's logic. So that's okay. once you get the sort of simplicity, you can look at a lot of different, um, for example, volcanoes. Um, the so-called ash cloud that came out of Iceland in the volcano, mostly water vapor. Um, volcanoes have lightning associated with them. You can see some beautiful, if you Google volcano lightning, you can see some beautiful um, pictures of that. So here we have again with volcanoes, unpredictable emissions that are very, very powerful and uh, that produce um, matter, you know, the electrons that produce the water. And the only bit we're missing at the moment is the antimatter. So somebody somewhere might actually hear this and go off and, and measure that. Who knows? <laughs> but, um, you know, so I predicted that. So do you see what I mean? Once you've got the pattern, which is really simple, you have the power then to make predictions. 
And um, so how do we bring this into our lives? Well, um, you know, this is what I've really been breaking down on my online course. I've been taking uh, my list uh, that have already been, you know, on board with me. Um, there's, uh, we had about 100 people sign up at the beginning of the year. And I went through this course called Simply Divine, breaking it all down because it's, I feel it's really, really important to understand how this works in your daily life and how the same process that's happening in a black hole, which is matter and antimatter coming together to form light and then going apart and then coming together to form light, spiraling in and out, breathing in and out like that. The same process is happening in our everyday lives. The bit where we are, have the polarity, we have the matter and antimatter, and they're separate, we call that the bit where we're getting all mussed up about someone. We're going, oh, you know what, that woman at work, I really don't like her. She really gets on my nerves. And that's when we're in the polarity state. Okay. And say that woman comes up and, and suddenly you see her in a different light. You go, you know what? You know what? I behave like that sometimes. She's showing me what I can't face about myself. You know, people who do this sort of, you know, work on a regular basis would recognize what I'm saying. But often when, you know, we don't want to look in that mirror, do we? Nobody does, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So you get that aha moment. Okay. You get that aha moment. That aha moment is when the positron and electron comes together to form the light. Wow. Whoa, hold on. Let's just, that <laughs> is big. This is big. Okay. So it makes me, I know, you know, David Hamilton. I do, yes. Right? Um, and he, I had him on uh, the show earlier. So those who have listened, he talks about how um, our reality is a mirror of our inner beliefs. Okay. So I just want to tie it sort of together. Um. So what you're saying then is that at that moment, it is truly the mirror. Yes. And then when we realize it, when we have the aha moment, when we get the lesson, when we have the breakthrough, you know, this is a lot of themes we've been talking about. You're saying that is um, similar to in science is when the light comes in. Yes, yes. So our lives, just like a black hole at the center of galaxy, is continuously cycling between the state of polarity with the matter and the antimatter and the light when the two combine again. And that's what we call aha moments. So, and then what happens after we have an aha moment, everybody knows this, we don't stay in that peace, ohm state. We go into another polarity again. Yep. And we take all of the learning that we did from the previous stage and we bring it into a new polarity where we have new challenges. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call spiritual growth. Well, you know, just emotional growth, anything. And the biggest mistake I think a lot of teachers say is positive thinking because when you do positive thinking, you're not wanting to look in the mirror, you are denying an aspect of yourself and therefore you're pushing away the polarity. It's when you look at that polarity, you go, okay, how, what has this got to teach me? That's when you can integrate it and that's when you bring the electron and positron of your life together 
and are able to move into the light and move on to the next level. So the, the question we ask ourselves when we are in that polarity is, what is this here to teach me? Yes, okay. yes. What, why have you, because ultimately uh, you, we are all connected to the infinity that's at the center of it. Um, so th- this is not only going in our lives, it's also in our atoms as well, because think about what happens in an atom. You have an electron going from level to level to level, and then it goes up and then it goes down. And as it it goes up, what do we say it leaves? A positron hole. That's Paul Dirac's work. You know, so this same positron, electron, light, you know, cycling, we use in our everyday life. We call them neon lights. You know, mm-hmm. we, we are using this all the time. But when you look at it a different way, you go, oh, this is the same process in the atom that it is the black hole. It's the electron and the positron combining and recombining and jumping up the levels. We call that a quantum leap. That's the, that is what a quantum leap actually is, an electron jumping from one shell to another. And is that, you know, you hear, you know, hear spiritual people talk about making a quantum leap. Is that possible for people to make a quantum leap in growth or in? Uh, Absolutely. Well, if we take the analogy to our own life, so that's the official, you know, what a quantum leap is, the electron jumping from shell to shell. But then, you know, when you see it as a wider picture, you go, oh, right, if our lives are electron positron coming together, you know, that's exactly what an atom is doing. We are also making quantum leaps in our lives because we'll suddenly have that aha moment where everything will suddenly come together and we get it. We get why something's happened to us. We'll get the big picture. We'll get the learnings. And we have. We've made that quantum leap. And when we have a similar situation, we'll see it in a completely different way. So yes, you could, the, what the, the terms people use about intuitively about their own lives, absolutely, because what's happening in the atom is happening in your daily life too. Wow. And, and so the idea is, it's funny because I just had a coaching session yesterday with my coach, Jeff Riddle, and he was, has this theory and he was talking about how time is really just um, a measurement for how quickly we're learning. And so if you approach everything of, okay, what do I have to, how quickly can I learn here? Or you approach it from the stance or intention of learning, you collapse time in essence. Yeah, I mean, time, and there's a whole other thing. Time. I mean, we, don't have, we don't have time to talk about time, but <laughs> but I mean, very very briefly in terms of time, because a lot of people have, you know, it, both in relativity and physics, and also in spirituality, time is taught that it's an illusion, mm-hmm. and uh, so, but in in black hole principle, you actually have a mechanism by which you can. Have time and no time at the same time. That sounds really complex, but um, the electron and the positron, they both exist in space and time, whereas the light doesn't. So do you remember I said the electron and the positron come from the light? Yes. And then they recombine again back into light. So they're continuously cycling. So they slow down. They go from one dimension. They slow down into our dimension. Yeah, when they come into our dimension, say let's just take the electron, 
that that has the positive timeline. So we see um, the baby growing up into an adult, for for example. So, but the opposite of that, the mirror. Do you remember we said the positron, yes. the antimatter is a mirror, is a negative timeline. And this kind of concept you see in loop quantum gravity. There's a number of physics theories that discuss this. I looked at especially the work of Bill Tiller. I'm sorry, William Tiller, Professor William Tiller, that was formerly of Stanford University. And uh, his interpretations of um, the Maxwell's equations and you know the mathematics of it all. So I'm not a physicist, by the way, all a mathematician. So mm-hmm. you know, but these ideas exist about this negative timeline. Now, ultimately, the the timelines cancel out. So everybody who says time doesn't exist is is true. You know that's true. You know, but. But it, but the while it's in the electron and positron state, you have a forward and a backward timeline. So um, you know those states are where we the forward timeline are where we our consciousness resides mostly. Okay. So whilst we are in this sort of forward timeline. We experience the passage of time. So we don't see babies flipping out from being adults or babies to be, you know, we see babies growing up and, and getting old and dying. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we see. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you explain that with there being no time? Well, yes, ultimately there is no time because the electron and the positron are both light in disguise. All the time they're actually two halves of the light. They're, they're light pretending okay. that they are separate. Okay. And while they're pretending that they're separate, time exists. Um, but ultimately, the two are in a deep level. They're, they're, they're light. They're two halves of light and always have been. So it's kind of like light plays a game, pretends that it's separate. And while it's separate, that's where mass, gravity, you know, uh, polarity and time exists. And while that exists, that's the kind of consciousness that we are aware of. But ultimately, they they are and always will remain two halves of timeless light. It's just that light's playing a little bit of a disguise. So with the black hole principle, you're able to have time and no time at the same time. So ultimately, those electrons and positrons in disguise are really always... Um, always have their, their light. It's like playing a little, you know, uh, a little game in itself. And whilst we are aware of this passage of time, we are learning the things that we're meant to be learning and we're going through a process. Um, when ultimately, if you were to see outside of space and time, everything's happening simultaneously. So that's why we we're have... both going forward and backward. And it's all yes. happening at the same time. It's all happening at the same time. But that's why we experience a baby growing up, because that's that's kind of what our perspective is. That's where we're kind of like our consciousness is looking out and seeing that as our main pers- perspective. It's not our only perspective. And, and mystics will tell you quite readily and have done throughout the ages that um, – they've gone beyond and they've experienced other, other realms, you know, and they, they'll come back and tell you, time doesn't really exist, everybody, I'm going to tell you these things. And, yeah, they're absolutely true 
too. You're absolutely right as well. Um, but this is a way I call it have your cake and eat it theory because you know, and it's like uh, you know the people that the gurus that are telling you there's no time they. You know, they want you to be on time for their workshop or, or else. You know, so like, you know, and you see them like, you know, getting on and dyeing their hair and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Not, not there's anything wrong with that, but they're telling you that age doesn't exist and time doesn't exist. You know, so be, because it's not the deeper science. So once you realize that the black hole principle is allowing for these, these two states and there's no paradox in that, then, um, you know, we can move forward and stop stressing about, you know, but I'm supposed to be in the eternal now. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, yes, you are, and you can still make it to the workshop on time, you know, so, <laughs> so there's no conflict there, you know. So it, it's like quantum physics has introduced to our lives. It's like something can be both and, you know, so we both have, you know, um, uh, time and no time at the same time. But this is a huge topic. So, oh, this uh, is another episode. Because yeah, yeah, my yeah. mind is just going, <laughs> it's like the springs, you know, in my mind, it's like, doing, ding. I got, I don't know really what. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to this episode a few times to, to process all of this. But I, wow. I mean, the, the connections that you make with what, mainstream science and is happening, the predictions that you have made, and then the ability to connect it to not only the science within us with chakras and our energy, et cetera, but within our own life lessons and our experiences and what consciousness experiences and our emotions and how that is a mirror of what's happening at a black hole. Like, wow. Uh, <laughs> it's it is truly mind-blowing and um and what a gift to each of us to to at a deeper level understand when you say we are all connected it is all connected you really broke that down for me i mean i've i've heard that so many times the universe is one everything's connected and i sort of hear and say yes and i but but you're literally breaking that down for us so thank you Oh well, you signed up for it, didn't you? Forget this. No, no. <laughs> the, the cosmos and you, absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly what. <laughs> this is exactly. This is literally exactly it. So yeah. I am sure that, and myself included, want to take the course. Um, so where do few people find out about the course? Um, where do they find out more about you? How do we, how do we get more of this? Okay. Well, depending on when you're listening to this, yep. um, but, uh, you know, the, the, uh, website is about to be relaunched. So you, you might see a page that just has a sign up form, um, or you can see the full site depending on when you're listening, but whenever you can go to, um, uh, paradigmrevolution.com or if you find that difficult to spell punkscience.com and um, you know so if uh, if the website's launched you'll be able to see the course Simply Divine um, which actually breaks all this down further as to how you can use this in your life um, you know so it takes the science and it, it's by its name Simply Divine it, it's meant to be simple broken down step by step and uh, you know I, I've uh, there's about uh, 40 videos over six months uh, where I'm personally you know taking everybody through there's exercises there's audios there's 
you know, you, you can go through all of those uh, stages with me. Um, there's also another course called the Genius Groove. Um, that's more on um, how you can take this and, and help this to access your creativity. So um, understand, deeper understanding of, of uh, your own creativity. So that's all through that main hub paradigmrevolution.com and uh so um if it if it's the website's not up just sign up yeah i will be sending you details of when that's going to be released and if it's um re-released i should say because we've already taken the first cohort through the course and it's just it's been they've been saying feeding back to me they've been saying what a life changer it is and how they can see that their reality is changing because of this material. And when I get emails like that, it's just, it, it's just fantastic because, you know, this is, um, it, it doesn't have to be just science out there in the cosmos. It's exactly like you're saying, it's, it's in you. How do we use this to improve our daily lives? And um, that's, you know, I'm passionate about that, which is why I've done the courses. So uh, yeah, paradigmrevolution.com. Sign up on there, and uh, you will be informed very soon. Great! Or and if they if they want to go on uh, Facebook, they can find the Facebook uh, page is Punk Science. Yep, there's a Facebook page for Punk Science and the Genius Groove. So uh, head head out there, or uh, just even connect with me. You know, if you have a look at my name as well, I'm happy to connect on there. Perfect. Well. Manjira, thank you. I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm just sort of reeling here not to let all this process. Um, but you have given us so much to think about today. And um, I can't wait to hear what everybody else thinks. So please share your thoughts. Um, and if you enjoyed this, please share with a friend um, and head over to Cosmos and You, Facebook or Twitter. Um, and I can't wait to talk to everybody further. So thank you again for your time. And we look forward to talking with you soon. Oh, thank you for inviting me on, Susanna. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash cosmos in you or our Twitter page. The Twitter handle also is Cosmos in You. And of course, at our website, cosmosinyou.com. Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.